I basically am saying to the audience, do you think what we're doing is enough on housing and homelessness? I think that the answer may point you towards looking at I-135, and I hope that they vote yes in February. Well, that's Tiffany McCoy right there from the group How's Our Neighbors, who spoke to me last month on Seattle Channel and apparently spoke to enough neighbors to get that yes vote on Initiative 135. So the social housing measure has passed, but now what? How do we pay for it to get it off the ground? And how does this new approach of social housing establish itself in a well-entrenched housing ecosystem here in Seattle. The voters have spoken, and it's time to consider some of these questions. So I'm breaking them down on a very special Patrons First edition of Seattle News, Views, and Brews. And I'm very happy to have with me Melissa Santos of Axios Seattle, a terrific newsletter. Melissa, it's been a while. Very good to see you. I enjoy the newsletter a lot, from city politics to reporting on pet insurance. You guys are totally rocking it. How are things at Axios? Things are pretty good. It's been fun. Yeah, been a, been a great thing to read, and I really appreciate your background on 135 here. So we're going to get things rolling here with Right Here, Right Now. So voters have passed I-135. It'll get certified this week. More than 57% of Seattle voters said yes to this new concept. And Melissa, I've tried to explain social housing to friends as a new public development authority we're going to establish here that is not just focused on low-income people, but people making up to 120% of the area median income, and those higher-rent people will end up cross-subsidizing the lower-rent folks and thus cover the cost of these new city-owned properties. I'm trying to do the, the Axios thing and get people smarter faster. Did I get it right, or what's, what's no, your that, general I think that's right. I think yeah. that's definitely how it's presented, and it, there is going to be some of that cross-subsidization you're talking about. I mean, basically, people who pay more rent kind of helps make up for people who pay less rent, right? So that's the, how this differs from the normal affordable housing model where maybe only people who are 30% of the area median income or below can you know live there. Got it. I'm going to dive into that topic a little bit further with you in a bit, but I did want to talk about how we're paying for this, because the part of the measure that some people might have missed here in voting for it is that starting social housing up, setting up the PDA with an office and with staff, et cetera, that's the city's responsibility. And I-135 says that's going to happen for the first 18 months worth of cost. The city is going to cover that. I've heard that described by the Yes campaign, Melissa, as about $750,000, which doesn't sound like a ton of money for a city with a $7.4 billion budget. And yet, Seattle's coming out of one of its tightest budget years in recent memory here, and the economy, the forecast isn't looking super in 2023 here. I'm just wondering where this money is going to come from. What do you think? They're trying to get it from the state first because of the same the budget pressures that Seattle's facing, I think. so, And also just the timeline. The state's about to approve a two-year budget in the next few months. The city doesn't plan to really revisit budget issues till the fall um, for next year. So if the, they really want to get off the ground and not have to wait for a few months the state um, budget is sort of where they think they need to go. And so they're focusing on that first. Got it. And it sounds like Frank Chop, uh, the former Speaker of the House and definitely a, still a Seattle uh, rep here, is, is kind of leading that charge? He is. He said he's submitting a budget pro- proviso, which is, you know, just a requ- language in the budget that would give this yeah. money um, in the next week or so. Um, and we'll see if it gets in the budget. That's kind of the question mark. Yeah, I know. It's always one of those things when these very Seattle-centric issues hit Olympia, that uh, some different discussions can happen for sure. Do you have any concept as to how how real those state dollars are? Because it really does sound like this is a big part of the equation here in terms of paying for this to get it off the ground. I mean, right now, no state dollars are real because the budget is so yeah. in flux. They haven't even really yeah. released their first proposal. So I think we'll know more if the if if one or more of the budgets includes that money that Frank Chop's asking for when they've released their first proposals. Gosh, I guess later in March. 
then yeah, yeah. That, that will signal, okay, maybe that maybe they're serious about really negotiating this. But honestly, the initiative says Seattle pays for it. I mean, it does yeah. say the city. And so I'm just not sure state lawmakers are going to think of that as a priority. However, the state does have a pretty, like, cushy uh, budget picture this year. It's, they're not they, really they have hurting. a big budget surplus, so, for sure, yeah. So it's possible they'll just say whatever, because everything's controlled by Democrats, <laughs> and maybe they owe Frank Chopper Fravor from way back. So, you know, it could happen. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's not it's, certain. No, no. And I guess the city's got to support this for 18 months, et cetera, before it kind of really gets off the ground. But I think about establishing a new public development authority. That's a big thing. And I know you can't compare apples to apples here and, and the pandemic didn't uh, didn't help a lot, but I think about the King County Regional Homelessness Authority. When you set up an authority, this thing takes some time, you know? And I'm just, I'm just wondering if it's going to be fully fledged enough at 18 months for the city to be cutting back at support. I, I know I'm thinking long-term here, but... Uh, I think that even the people who push for this initiative think they're going to need more money. I mean, they, they think that's pretty much a given. I, I think it'd be hard in 18 months to that for the authority to get set up much beyond sort of seeking additional funding sources. I think that's their first step. So I don't necessarily right. think in the next 18 months there's going to be a bunch of housing construction necessarily, um, but they're going to look for land to build housing on. They're going to look for buildings they can possibly buy and people who might help pay to buy that, including from philanthropic sources is what they told me. So... Um, and they'll be trying to de- devise some sort of tax measure, actually, I think, for the city to pass to fund this longer term. Yeah, definitely heard some talk about that, too. All right. And I want to talk about this whole idea of, of making sure we figure out different places where this PDA can purchase land or whatever else. And we're going to talk about that up next because supporters of I-135 say this measure is not going to compete with other housing providers out there in Seattle. We're going to explore that idea and ask a few questions, too, on Now Hear This. So just some background, folks, on this whole idea of rent subsidization, allowing people who make a decent income into a program like this and help pay for buildings that PDA runs. That's really the major difference between social housing and other programs. You've got these federally funded housing programs out there, HUD, etc. They're specifically geared toward people who make nothing or next to nothing, either 0%, maybe 30% of the area median income. So the way social housing supporters explain it, let's say a renter gets a new job that pays more. They don't get kicked out of their housing situation for making more money. There are slots available for people making up to 120% of the median income, thus building a more sustainable system. But opponents say, hold on, we're helping people making more than the area median income? That's the wrong place to put our limited resources. Listen to this. We have to be able to create this pathway that's sustainable for us. So if you're 10 10%, 20%, 30%, 40%, 100%, 120%, you can continue to live in that same community if that is your choice. You got to focus on the z- people that have no income, zero income, or very small fixed income, disabled people. You know, people who are never going to earn enough to, to pay rent in the market. That's Shalimar Gonzalez of Solid Ground, one of the many supporters of this measure, and Roger Valdez of Smart Growth Seattle, who's raised some questions about it. They talked to me on Seattle Channel a few weeks ago about this. And Melissa, I'm bringing this up because I really see social housing as a paradigm shift regarding the way Seattle produces affordable places to live. And I think about this when supporters say, okay, we're not going to compete with the other housing providers, but in the text of this initiative, it says all public lands for the city will have to go through this feasibility study to see whether this land should go to the PDA before it would be sold. And I think that sets up, if not competition, a pretty stark decision over the limited commodity of public land in our city and who gets to manage it. Talk to me about this, Melissa, how 
135 could change our housing landscape. I do think that there will be competition over the land for housing. I think that you keyed in there to something that is a bit um, tricky and where there may be competition between some of these different nonprofits and, and development uh, authorities that focus on building affordable housing. Where I think mm-hmm. the initiative sponsors are somewhat correct is that because it, their housing is catering to a much wider income spectrum, they literally cannot qualify for some of the federal dollars that are going right. towards some affordable housing. So in that respect, when they say they're not competing, yeah, for some of the money, yeah, they really can't compete if you're if you're going up to that high area medium income. So I think that's what they're referring to. But there also is the reality that, for instance, if we're talking about making like a, a new tax, for instance, mm-hmm. yeah. there's a lot of people who would like to see that tax go to some of that money go toward the homelessness authority, go, go sure. toward, um, you know, maybe um, other places that are already doing this work. So that's kind of where I do think the competition comes in, in addition to the land piece. You know, maybe yeah. they can't qualify for some of the money that's already out there. But what about new sources of funding and new land that's open? That- that's, a, that's, that's the big question that we're going to see here. And I think we're going to start to see this take shape over the next couple of months here, as I understand it, the leadership of this group. It's going to come together. Actually, I should say in the next few weeks, there's going to be a board of directors set up very soon with this, uh, soon with this, I should say. And I'm trying to figure out who's going to be on this. Will there be members of the 135 steering committee or how do you see the leadership of this new PDA coming together? Well, the Seattle Renters Commission has to appoint initially, I believe, uh, half the members. I should have double checked on this a little bit, but yeah, seven, seven of thirteen, seven of the right, thirteen. Exactly. Board so that's right. So, so, so initially, I mean, they could pick, I suppose, whoever they want, but they do have some limits about there has to be someone who's experienced housing insecurity. They have some res- sort of guidelines. So I don't know that it would specifically be someone with a steering committee um, who'd be appointed to the board, maybe, if they meet those criteria. But the idea is it's mostly renter-driven. It's not sort of driven by private developers or anything like that. I mean, that kind of is the core there. And then later they'll be elected. I mean, they have to appoint them initially. Um, And the city council gets gets to appoint someone. I think someone. there's a few different groups that get to appoint it. Right. Majority renter is the idea. Right, right. And then for the individual buildings themselves, they'll have a, a renter-led coalition there that'll help with leadership of those actual buildings. And I just looked at this, Melissa, and I thought it was fascinating to see a pretty major bill like this go through without any major opposition. I mean, uh, granted, you've got John Fox and the displacement folks who were talking about this, but that was the group that wrote the opposition document in the voter's guide there. But other than that, no formal opposition to this. I remember last year, the Housing Development uh, Coalition of King County did write a letter. They seemed kind of concerned about this, but they really backed off with that whole battle there, the political battle. And I thought that was very interesting that we didn't have major opposition to this. Not that we need to have opposition for everything, but this was a really big issue. And and I just kind of looked at this and wanted to get your take on that. The fact that there was no formal opposition to this, what did that say to you? I think some of it is that these people all know each other. I mean, some of the mm. groups that, you know, were opposing the measure, they work on, they, they're former founders of the Downtown Emergency Services Center. You know, all right. of these folks work together, you know, um, the Low Income Housing Institute, I think, ended up on the pro yes, side, that's right. that's right. So, they, I mean, I think that they were never going to have this drawn-out, drag-out fight because you have people who really care about the same issues, helping some of the same individuals, mm-hmm. just kind of disagreeing about this. So I think they kind of, um, it was a little bit gloves off, and, um, and I don't think that the businesses got really involved. So I don't think that, you know, Microsoft and Amazon didn't think, didn't decide that this was a bad idea that they had to oppose, so that kind of didn't create a a lot of a huge momentum either so that you know it it is weird that it happened but i think it's just like you don't win by saying 
um, housing. I'm dad. against housing or something. Right. Yeah. I think that they, everyone was worried that it would come across as just like, we don't want to help poor people and we don't want to yeah. help people who are suffering. And yeah. that's not a good look for corporations. It's not a good no. look. So, I mean, so I think that was part of it. It's like we all share a goal probably of trying to right. make housing more affordable. So opposing this on sort of technical grounds and how it would work, maybe people just thought this isn't going to like we're going to get villainized for this. I think that right. might have been part of it. Right, right. And I just think looking forward with this, and I, I would love your take on this too, I'm just trying to figure out how it's going to fit into this larger ecosystem. And I touched on this earlier, but you've got a city council that I have to say is probably a little wary of this. You have a few different providers out there that don't really know how this is going to work. Granted, it's worked in Montgomery County in Maryland. They've had it for a couple of years, but that's the only site, other site in the U.S. that has been shown to have this type of housing work. Granted, it's around the world, but I, I'm just trying to figure out how this is going to play out over the next couple of months here, Melissa, when you have different forces like the Homelessness Authority, different forces like the Housing Development Consortium, honestly working with these people, the council too, the city council. I, I just wonder, how's it going to fit having this new kid on the block? What do you think? I think the real question is going to be, will there be some sort of tax measure devoted to this? Mm -hmm. For instance, in Vienna, which is sort of the model of, of yeah. this, you know, overseas, they have a 1% payroll tax that pays for social housing. It's really sort of ingrained in their entire like tax structure and we yeah. just don't have that set up for this now so i think that if there's some sort of revenue stream that is identified specifically for this maybe it will kind of make uh the the folks who are concerned about losing some of the federal um housing funding yeah. and such sort of less concerned but then also like I do see. you see seattle passing a tax for this i'm not sure like the, i mean I, I mean i know the head tax was five years ago now and such but I just don't know that there's going to be a lot of appetite for passing a new tax when the jumpstart tax was only recently passed. And so yeah. that's, a, that's a sort of corporate payroll tax kind of thing. And it's that's that's kind of just a question for me, whether there really will be the appetite to do that at the city yeah. level is pass some sort of tax to make this sustainable. Because even though you don't have to put as much money into these buildings, I think that makes sense because you have people paying more rent, right? It kind of helps pay for the maintenance and all that. They yeah. still say they need money to kind of acquire buildings to get really yeah. get started, you know, and maybe to jumpstart construction and bonding and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, I just right. don't know if there's it's going to put that money in. Right, right. And I, I think that's the whole piece. The, there's a lot of talk about the bonding authority of the PDA and what that's going to be able to do. And this is something I should point out. It, it has worked in Montgomery County in Maryland uh, to an extent. But, you know, what's that seed money that needs to be put in there such that you can call on different agencies to, to help with those bonds, et cetera, because you're talking about a new agency and building up bonding authority. As I touched on earlier, I don't think that happens overnight. So I would love to see how this, I, I wish I had that crystal ball to figure out how this looks into the future. And I think you raise a great point in terms of dollars and cents here. This was a measure that said, hey, can you just pass this structure? And there were no dollar signs attached to it. And the people in Seattle said, yep, sounds great. As, as people in Seattle like to do, we like to vote yes on things. But I think that it's that other piece there, the actual paying for it, that I, I don't know. It just feels like there, there's a few question marks there. And I wonder, as the city takes uh, takes a role on this, as the state potentially takes a role on this, where those dollars are going to come from and who is going to be that champion, if there will be one, within local government that's going to move this along. Do you, do you have a feel for that at all? Well, I, I, I think that, for, I mean, Frank Chop's going to work on it, but he's not the Speaker yeah. of the House anymore. You know, if Frank right, Chop right. is still Speaker of the House, I'd say, okay, they're going to get their initial money to kind of get their office up and running, no problem, yeah. from the state. Um, yeah. And then we, um, and then we'll just see if, 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 if maybe the city will push 
um, something else through. I mean, I do think yeah. that maybe it depends on the, this fall's council elections. I think yeah. everyone stepped back a little bit, right, and said, Absolutely. well, let's see what happens with this. Now it's passed. So yeah. I, I, I think it's probably likely that that $750,000 that sort of is sort of contained in the measure to start the office and, and hire two people for 18 months, that probably will come through. Like after voters yeah. approve something, I don't think Seattle officials will just say, uh, we're just going to completely Forget ignore it, it right. when, it's, when it's a somewhat modest amount of money. It's that right. long-term funding that I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. And that would just be a longer road. Like I think the bond, the, the um, development authority theoretically could still do some of its work without a big injection of money because of their, you know, this model of people are paying more. Yeah. You can use the bond against that. But, just, yeah. but, it, mm-hmm. but the, you can bond against that extra money that you're kind of getting since you're not, the idea is also they're not pocketing a profit, right? So yeah, but yeah, that's right. just longer. It's just a longer, you know, to, if you're bonding mm-hmm. against a smaller amount, you have to build up money. You know, it mm-hmm. just would be a lot longer process and maybe not seeing the results that people want from this. So Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you bring up some great points, too, about how this could very much turn into an issue on the campaign trail for different city councils, city council members out there and how they approach it. Because, uh, yeah, that's I mean, you talk about that land use issue. You talk about land use issues like the comprehensive plan. We've got some candidates out there that better bone up on some of their their land use thoughts there because there's a ton going on here. Uh, just starting to wrap up here, Melissa, any uh, other thoughts on this just to kind of sum up your uh, concerns, your questions that you have going forward with I, social housing? I mean, I, I plan to write about this more later, but I, I do think this says something about just how desperate Seattle people are for solutions a little bit to the housing crisis. Um, and I think it might, it's possible it'll say something about the city council elections. I, I was, I really didn't know how it was going to go, the election. And, um, you know, I was talking to Crystal Fincher, who's a, a political consultant who hosts yep. another podcast. She And she was really saying, you know, this really shows that people in Seattle are not afraid of progressive stuff. They're not, they, they, they know that this will probably require money. They don't care. The, the yeah. city council candidates, kind of, it's a wake up call to them, you know, is what she was saying. That they, you know, you can't just sort of just be scared on this stuff. You can't just mm-hmm. kind of not take a stand. People want to see action. And right. I don't know if that means we'll have some progressive uh, um, council uh, members elected in sort of more so than maybe sort of the more centrist candidates. I, I don't know. I'm kind of watching that right now. And yeah. the signals people do want more progressive um, candidates, uh, especially when it comes to housing. Interesting. Interesting points all. Well, thank you very much for that, Melissa. And coming up, take a deep breath because Melissa has a confession to make. That's next on Final Thoughts. I promise this is all in good fun, but I follow you on Twitter and I saw with horror last month that you had to wear a San Francisco 49ers decal on your neck. What manner of fresh hell are we talking about here? Uh, well, we we did a bet with Axios has newsletters in different cities, right? So the uh, the our Seahawks did not come through for me this year is what I will say. <laughs> Big so we side, made a bet yeah. with our folks in San Francisco who have a newsletter and we promised our readers that if the Seahawks lost, we would wear a, a San Francisco 49ers uh, tattoo. I think we said neck tattoo, temporary tattoo. Yes. <laughs> Thankfully. Right. And so we agreed to do that when we went to DC to do like a company retreat. And we did me and my colleague, Christine Claridge, she puts them on her face. Actually. She oh, just wow. put like a bunch of them on her face. That was too much <laughs> for me. Like I couldn't do it, but yeah, we did that. And we lost the bed and fine, but we gave them some applets and cotlets, which I feel like is like punishment. Oh, there enough. you go. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Now you have to eat these. I love it. I love it. Uh, Melissa, you're a champ. I really appreciate you helping me out here. This is Melissa Santos from Axios Seattle, joining you here on this Patrons First edition of Seattle Views and Brews. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thanks, everybody, for listening out there. Make sure you check out Seattle News, Views and Brews, wherever you're listening on the platforms. Check it out on Patreon, too, and show your support. 
$5 per month gets you a fancy sticker. How about that? Thanks for watching on Converge Media 2 with this show. We'll see you next time. Seattle News, Views, and Brews is an independent production of Calaman Media Services. Copyright 2023.